the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into Hour 2. We do so as we do every Monday with the great Brandon Weikert. Brandon J. Weikert is the author of several books, including Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. You can go to your online, favorite online bookseller right now and order his uh, most recent book. You'll get it within a couple of weeks. It's uh, going to be published uh, less than a month, or at least distributed in less than a month, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for supremacy. Brandon Weikert is a columnist for all the important journals. Hi, Brandon. How are you? Happy Monday. Oh, hello. And uh, thank you for that wonderful intro. And thanks for having me as we are hunkering down for Hurricane Ian. I thought you just had a something or other. What didn't you just have a Fiona? Uh, I no, we didn't. We we've had uh, relatively decent weather until today. And apparently, I will be having a Category 3 hitting us uh, just north of us, so we'll get the outer bands of it. So I'm watching all of my neighbors, who clearly are not from here, freak out and put all their shutters up around their, their windows. I don't think it's going to be as bad as... Is, is Reboy one of them? Is he is he all in panic putting up <laughs> shutters? No, and cla- I can't. I can't see Reboy from where he's on the other coast. They're, they're actually in the clear. <laughs> okay, all right, Brandon. Let me start um, on the uh, on the country that is the subject of your uh, the book that will be available uh, to uh, everyone uh, very soon within the next couple of weeks. Uh, the Shadow War, Ron's Quest. For supremacy, there is a lot going on over there right now, uh, particularly yeah. on the streets. I didn't, I, you know, I was reading an article. It didn't dawn on me that uh, Ayatollah Khamenei, he's now been there for the better part of 30 years. I didn't realize he had been there that in, awe, in power so long, but I guess oh, yeah. he has. Yeah, I guess since. He, uh, yeah, he was a student also of the previous Ayatollah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, while, you know, when he was at their equivalent of seminary. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. He's yeah. been there for thirty-three years already. It seems yeah. uh, it seems as if people are still almost still trying to get his name right from the first one. <laughs> but in <laughs> any event, they're talking about his son, I guess, possibly um, possibly being groomed to succeed him. But these protests on the street. Um, they're a little different. They're a little bigger. I don't want false hopes, but neither again do I want to see it crushed like uh, like we did in '09, um, by dint of a U.S. president who ended up siding with the mullahs rather than the community activists on the streets. Yeah. Uh, how serious are these protests in Iran right now? How serious is their potential to actually effectuate some change? Well, this all began about two weeks ago. People don't even realize this, but there were a lot of rumors on Twitter that the current Ayatollah was actually dying. Yeah, I remember. Um, and so this all sort of initiated shortly after those rumors were hitting the... And he is old, and so that might be playing into this as well. To your question, though, directly, not to evade it, um, it, it does seem like we are yet again in the same spot we were in those very early months and weeks of the Obama administration's first term when you had that Green Revolution running all over 
Tehran, at least, the capital city of Iran, in which the people of Iran, the young people, a lot like the Tiananmen Square protests in 1989 in China, the young people were demanding democracy, real democracy. They were demanding a free and fair election because the elections had been rigged. Um, and they were crushed by the Islamist uh, uh, security services in Iran. Uh, and at that time, we had a young, relatively young American president who everybody and many people around the world thought was going to be this dynamic, you know, community organizing, pro-democracy, stand up for the little guy, wherever he may be, kind of a president. And the first thing that Obama did was to side with the Mullahs. Uh, and the reason was very cynical. It was because Obama wanted a nuclear weapons deal with Iran, and he didn't want to set himself back by siding against what he thought was the only legitimate uh, political force in Iran, which is the uh, Mullahocracy. Flash forward to more than a decade later, and you now have in the first term of the Biden administration, Obama's former sidekick, and now you have the, something similar playing out, only it might actually be even more effective uh, than the 09 protest, because I think we've reached critical saturation. Uh, the people of Iran are truly, well and truly fed up. The women are leading this, and when the women start to lead this sort of thing, uh, you you got you to gotta think, well, that might actually be the thing that does it, because the men are going to start to follow the women because, you know, men, men want to be with women and they want the women to be happy uh, on some level. So I think that the fact that this isn't just a male-led revolution, that it's a female-led one, uh, I think this has all the makings of something that, that you would think the supposed, you know, pro-democracy Democratic Party leadership uh, would be all over supporting, and yet, Mums the word, it seems, from Washington. And uh, I suspect for the same reason that Obama refused to come out and fully support the 09 protester, which is that Biden is desperate, desperate to get a nuclear weapons deal, desperate to hand the region over to an implacable American enemy, who, by the way, Iran's leadership, the, the Islamist regime, are proxies for China and Russia. And if you do this deal, Mr. Biden, you're going to hand over the oil-rich, very strategically important, no matter what anybody else says, it's still a very strategically important region. You're going to hand that over not just to the Iranians, but to their Chinese and Russian uh, uh, you know, benefactors. And so this is the, 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 the issue. We have a real chance here to overthrow this regime or do serious damage to it by supporting these, these gallant protesters. And, of course, we're not yet again. Okay. Thank you for that outline, uh, Brandon. And it jibes perfectly with my understanding. So you have in this country, uh, and we can even do some domestic politics here now or later if you want, but you have in this sure. country a Washington, D.C. that is run by the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party is reliant on uh, two to three uh, interest groups that without which it cannot succeed in political life. One of those happens to be women's groups, 
women's groups, uh, unions, and uh, and uh, racial organizations, organizations de- dedicated to the race issue, women's groups. Let's spend a moment on women's groups. Here and there over the last week or so, you've seen a few Democratic leaders, a few, not a lot, but a few, including Chuck Schumer, uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, saying things like, um, I am uh, I am impressed with uh, I am uh, uh, I, I am standing with the protesters in Iran. They put these little social media tweets out there, maybe perhaps as a sop to their constituency or their base. But when they're not writing those uh, 10 and 12 and 15 word tweets, they are efforting. A, a, a program and a plan of action that will give over $200 billion to the very regime beating these women on the streets in right. Tehran down with sticks. How the hell do you square that, and why the hell are the women's groups in this country dead silent about this? Well, the first thing you have to remember is, is George Carlin's quote, the great comedian, uh, about women's liberation groups in America. They don't give a an SH about any other minority group anywhere else. Okay. It's all about radical women's liberation, quote-unquote, here okay. in the United States. Okay, and I know Carlin was a liberal, but he was completely correct in his criticism of left-wing organizations. Okay. That's the first point. Okay. The second point is the race and gender issues. That is mere window dressing for the left. They use that to diffuse and disarm Americans' natural antipathy to the Democratic Party's radical ideology. Okay. Because at the end of the day, the Democrats are all of them radical Marxists. That's all they care about is cultural Marxism, tearing down the system, tearing down our Constitution, replacing it with their revolutionary ethos. The reason that Democrat women's groups, racial groups, uh, you know, gender groups, whatever. The reason that these groups that have no problem commenting on anything under the sun here in the United States, that they're staying quiet is because ultimately they are ideologically Marxist and therefore they are ideologically under the belief that America is the greatest evil in the world. Mm-hmm. And we cannot point out any other country's problems or evil regimes because, especially in the case of Iran, of course, you remember. We supposedly were the great oppressors of Iran during the Cold War, and this is ultimately all our fault. And so we have no business getting involved and daring to try. Oh, you're on to something big with that. That is a big myth. Uh, Let me take this quick commercial break and come back on that. That's a big one. You still see Hollywood aping it as much and as often as they can, Brandon Weikert. Let's pick up on that. When we come back and yeah, keep in the back of your head, folks, what it means when people like Zudi Jasser and others talk about the red green axis. That's what Brandon's talking about, the axis between Marxism and Islamic political fundamentalism. We'll be right back. To have Brandon Weikert with us. He's the publisher of the Weikert Report, a columnist for all the important journals from the Asia Times to the Washington Times, American Greatness, 
and the author of several books, including uh, the one um, that will be available to you in a couple of weeks. You can pre-order it right now. Its uh, pub date is next month, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. Brandon, you put your finger on something we need to talk about. Every once in a while it comes up, and, and, and it's good that you have this history down. Um, and and, and it, it, it always goes in the direction of the U.S., the United States' complicity in bringing about the Iran that we brought about, the Iran that we have to live with right now because of our interference in the 1950s with yep. Mohammad Mossadegh. All of this is, um, well, it's, um, it's, it's, it's blueprint for Hollywood. It's blueprint for every liberal and left-wing um, think tank in Washington, D.C., and probably the State Department, and it's not true. Definitely it's, and, and it's not true. Take it away. Yeah, so, you know, basically, um, the since the 1953 coup, and you can even go back to when Britain colonized Iran in, you know, the early 20th century um, for the oil, but basically, 1953, um, the, the Iranian regime under the Shah was threatened by a prime minister who was a socialist and had a lot of ties and sympathies with the communists. Um, the generals under the Shah crafted a an overthrow plan to get rid of the prime minister, who, by the way, was not the head of state, but was saying that he, the prime minister Mossadegh, was saying that, well, now, I, now that I'm the prime minister, we're going to get rid of the Shah, who's the head of state, the constitutional head of state at the time, and we're going to make myself the full government, basically. And then we're going to be a total parliamentary democracy, no Shah. Well, that was not the legal way to do it. That was not what the Iranian constitution called for. So the generals of Iran got together, went to the British, and said, hey, we're going to try to get rid of this prime minister who's out of control. Who was elected, the- by the way, Mossadegh, elected under very, 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 yes. very corrupt circumstances, by yes. the way. Yes. Yes. Calling and his own election with, success early yes, and canceling exactly. out the votes of uh, okay, exactly. go on, go on. And so then Mossadegh uh, gets a, gets a, he anticipates that the Shah's generals want to move, so he want to move on him, so he you know preempts them, which then prompts the Shah to flee the country briefly. And at that point is when the British called the Americans and were like, "Hey, the, the generals of Iran." on their own, have created a plan to get rid of Mossadegh. We need to back their play. And at that point, the British and the Americans, through Operation Ajax, began operating together to support the Iranian generals. I say it like this because the myth in the West, particularly in America, is that Kermit uh, uh, Roosevelt, Roosevelt was, yeah. uh, right, was the CIA guy on the ground. The, 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 the claim by the Marxists is he went in, he took over the country, yeah, basically. Right. He did this coup, and it was all because he was a rapacious capitalist-serving, right. evil capitalist American imperialist interest. And that was not the case. And so we've been fed a lie for three generations, four generations, and now it is hamstringing us whenever Democrats are in power. Anytime there's an event in Iran that could potentially shift the politics of Iran to our favor, naturally— the Democrats, if they're in power, as they were under uh, Carter, as they were under Obama, as they are under Biden, they never do anything to hurt the Islamist regime of Iran that hates us. I would remind your audiences, and I say this in my forthcoming book, that Jimmy Carter, 
allowed for Khomeini, who was in exile in France, to fly back to Iran during the, the protest in 1979 that overthrew the Shah. And Jimmy Carter sent a guy named an Air Force general named Robert Heiser, who was the NATO commander at the time, to fly to Iran before the Ayatollah did to tell the Shah's generals who were again planning to stop Ayatollah Khomeini from coming in. The General Heiser was sent to basically tell them, if you want U.S. support, you are not going to stop the, the Ayatollah from coming. He is now going to be the legitimate head of state because Jimmy Carter uh, believes he can do business with this guy. And so going back to Carter, because of this theory that we were responsible for the chaos in Iran because we're of our imperialism and our unwashed you know, corruption, we have to look the other way to, for Islamists uh, because they're the true, the true representative of the majority of Iranian people. And that is just flat out wrong, and these protests are proving that yet again. And the Democrats will do nothing yet again to the actual pro-democratic people who want to overthrow the regime to actually overthrow the regime. And also, Brandon, part of the history working off memory here, you, you said it rightly, uh, the British uh, approach to the United States. This was generally a British effort. Um, BP, as we now know it, was then British yes. pro- Petroleum. They were the ones who were fighting the nationalization more than anyone else. And That's if I'm right. not mistaken, wasn't Khomeini in exile perhaps, but wasn't he opposed to Mossadegh as well? Of course he exactly. was. Exactly. Yes. The secularization you know the from Mossadegh was yes. a big problem for Khomeini. In so fact, anyone who in, thinks Mossadegh yes. is, uh, ended tenure is what led to Khomeini, please understand Khomeini wanted Mossadegh gone. That's right. And in fact, it was um, uh, Khomeini's uh, little cabal around him who actively assisted the CIA when the coup was going on. They actively, all of the Islamists who would go on to overthrow the Shah in 79 were acting in defense of the Shah in 53. So this, this lie that's been perpetuated in the West that, oh, the, the Islamists came to power in 79 because of what happened in 53. Well, they were supporting the CIA in 53. And in fact, if you look at Iranian textbooks that they teach their high school students about Iranian history, all of this fixation in the West about the coup in 53 and how it caused all the problems uh, in Iran today, that the Iranians hate us because of it, actually, three generations have been taught under the Islamist regime there was hardly any mention of the 53 coup because the Islamists who now rule Iran were actually helping <laughs> right. the Americans right. to overthrow the, the Prime Minister Mossadegh. Perfect. Perfectly stated, Brandon. Perfectly stated. Uh, prediction on how this will end, I suppose it depends on a lot of things, like uh, Khomeini's health uh, and, uh, and, and just the strength of the military and the state police and how hard they want I to think- crack down, right? Yeah, it's really going to – I don't think it's going to – I think it's going to end very similarly yeah. to how 09 yeah. ended. It has because that Because we have a president who won't support them. Yeah. Biden is out to lunch yeah. again. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. These great Democrats who represent the man on the street, but more importantly, you know, fighting for women's democracy. rights. Yeah, right. w- women's rights. I was talking to uh, 
Erica Kosrai. You may or may not know her uh, mm-hmm. the other day, and I said, you must just be overwhelmed with all the women's groups who are rushing to support you in this country. Not a peep, not a one, zero, nope. null set. Because not it goes back interest. to the Marxist ideology. Exactly. There is a red-green red axis access. that is far more yeah. important than women's rights. All right. Speaking of nuclear, Russia's in the news for uh, nuclear threats. Can we talk about that on the other side of this break, Brandon? Weikert? Yeah, buckle up. Bless you. I am Seth Liebson. Brandon Weikert will be with us on the other side. We're going to talk Russia, Putin, and nukes. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Author Brandon J. Weikert is our guest, author and geopolitical expert. Brandon, uh, the press secretary to the president, Karin Jean-Pierre, says it's important to have a conversation in this country about changing the name of the Atlanta Braves. How about we talk about something equally or more important, the discussion of nuclear warfare with Russia? Tell us, why are nukes and Russia back in the news? We just live in the worst, weirdest time. I know. You know, we have a completely unserious president uh, in a very serious moment. Yeah. Um, and we are about six to eight months away under current conditions from a couple things happening, and they're going to be related. The first is, um, the despite what some sources are saying, the Russian economy is beginning to collapse. Uh, they were able to avoid um, a lot of the, the initial pitfalls of a total collapse because India and China were backstopping uh, uh, Russia's economy by increasing their purchasing of Russian energy sources and agricultural goods. But now China and Russia both are balking at having to continue to do this. Uh, and the Western sanctions, while they're certainly having very serious problems for the Europeans who need that energy, uh, they are starting to have really significant uh, downsides for the Russian economy. Uh, and it is predicted there was a, a very good study actually done by Yale in July, which really got into the very nitty gritty as to why the sanctions are actually working and as to why the Russian economy is not sustainable under present conditions. And I bring this up because this is the problem that Putin's going to face. He wants to remain in power. He has to keep his economy going. But in about six to eight months, according to this Yale report, if trends persist, uh, the, the Russian economy will collapse. And if the Russian economy collapses, well, then you have, for Putin, uh, an untenable political situation at home. And that means he's going to be facing an overthrow attempt, a regime change attempt from within. And that usually ends with the bullet going into the back of his head. And he knows this because in the past he was the one pulling triggered. Now he'll be on the other end. So to avoid this, he's got to fundamentally change the facts on the ground in Ukraine. He's got to be able to go to the Russian people and say, I know it's bad right now. I know my war of choice caused a lot of problems for us. But look, I delivered the result that I said I would deliver. And that is we're going to get at least part of Ukraine. And right now he can't do that conventionally. Right now the Ukrainians are all over him because of the Western military support. So what Putin has to do now is he's got to weather the winter. He's got to try to weaken Europe. He's got to try to get them away from America, which I don't, by by cutting off those energy taps to, to Europe, and he's already starting to do that, 
I don't think it's going to work, though. Even Italy, where they've elected uh, this this woman who's a very good far-right uh, candidate, but the one thing that people were saying is if she gets elected, NATO is going to start to fall apart. Well, it turns out she's very pro-NATO. Yeah. She's going to continue the Ukraine policy. Right. So I don't think Europe is going to become divorced, even if, even if they're frozen out by Russia. So that means that coming out of the winter, that Putin's going to be looking at this deteriorating situation at home. He's losing the conventional war in Ukraine, and his plan to starve Europe of energy has not worked. And that means he's got to do something to, to shift the narrative before he gets overthrown. And that's where nukes come in. And in order to use nukes, tactical nukes, chemical weapons, biological nukes on targets in Ukraine, he's going to have to first hit back at the Americans and the NATO allies with the continuous support, military aid, uh, and support going into Ukraine. So before he launches those weapons, he's going to have to hit our satellites. He's going to have to hit our cyberspace infrastructure. He's going to have to disrupt the electromagnetic uh, spectrum that our, our technology relies upon. That way he can disrupt the support for Ukraine, the military support, and, and he can you know harry us, confuse us. And while we're trying to figure out what's going on, at that point he's going to strike out. So unless something changes radically that, that allows for the Russian economy to keep going, that allows for Putin to stay in power unquestioningly, that you know possibly gives Putin some semblance of a victory in Ukraine soon, none of these things are likely going to happen anytime soon. That means that six to eight months from now, Putin is going to do something very, very significant. I think he's going to start popping off nukes. And in order to do that, he's got to first hit the Americans and Europeans. And no one in Washington is prepared for this. Let no me pick one. up on that. Let me pick up on that when we come back. Let me take the quick break. As I go to break, let me put out a good word for my friends at Y-Refi. If you're looking for a remarkable investment opportunity, they're offering up a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% return for investors in a secure collateralized portfolio. A due diligence approved firm, YRefi, is made up of investors who do well by doing good for others. And you can too. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's investyrefi.com or 855-316-3087. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Delighted to have Brandon J. Weikert with us, the author of The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy, among other books. Brandon, <clears throat> Russia, Putin, nukes, uh, things not going well. The temptation here, uh, you start seeing this a lot uh, around. I don't know if it's a good idea or a bad idea. That's why I keep you <laughs> on staff here, buddy. <laughs> Is it a good idea or not, as some are suggesting, give him a little bit of a win, give him a certain region, and let's call it quits and call, and all, and call the whole thing off? Well, this has been my the drum I've been banging on for seven months. Unfortunately, um, he is not going to sue for peace until he can be seen as regaining the initiative. And if that happens, he likely won't sue for peace at all. Meanwhile, the Ukrainians are not going to sue for peace. They would rather all die mm -hmm. than sue for peace. So that then leaves the president who isn't really there. Uh, Joe Biden is supposed to be the great peacemaker. Well, let's just say that he's been on an autopilot for the whole war so far. I mean, yeah, we're pouring resources into it, but to what end? Um, you know, he, he hasn't really stated the objective. It's to defend Ukraine. Okay, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, 
he's letting the Ukrainians drive this thing. Okay, I get that to a point because they're the ones on the ground. Uh, it's their country. But the Ukrainians are going to fight to the death. And the Russians are going to fight to the death. This is, a, this is ultimately a family squabble. This is a, a Slavic a, a fight between the Slavs. And therefore, this is kind of a civil war in some respects. Those are never going to end very pretty. Um, and it would require statesmanship that, frankly, Biden and most people in Washington are lacking to get these two sides to, to take a breath and come to a, an amicable agreement. But until Biden really kind of takes the initiative here as the superpower, the lone superpower president, and says, Ukraine, we're, we're supporting you, but we also need to start you know, slowing things down, and Russia... You're not, it's not going to end well, even if you do use nukes. You're, you're going to be ending in a very bad spot. Let's just come to a deal. But that's not going to happen right now because nobody is either capable or willing. So this thing's going to play out, as I said before the break. It's going to go right up to nuclear war, I think. And I think we're going to be living in a world after Christmas probably where some kind of nuclear weapons are being popped off. Um, what we should be doing for the next six to eight months now, and we're not, the president should be out there, and he should be telling us, instead of going after Republicans as the greatest threat to the democracy, American Republic or whatever, a democracy, he should be going out there saying this war in Ukraine is going to eventually directly affect uh, our safety in America. That's why, as president, I am commissioning, a, if you pardon the expression, a crash program to get space-based missile defense up and running mm -hmm. as soon as possible. That is why, as president, I am, I am ordering Space Force to do whatever it takes to make our satellites less vulnerable. That is why I am commissioning an, a full Manhattan-type program to do hypersonic missiles that will outstrip anything the Russians and Chinese have. None of this is happening, no. Seth. No. And these are the only things at this point that will allow for the United States to have a shot at surviving the hell that is coming in the next six to eight months. Because this war is just getting started. It is not ending. We are entering into a new, deadlier phase. We're going up that escalation ladder, and it is going to eventually directly impact us, and it is going to involve nukes. And nobody, and I mean nobody in Washington, is doing anything to reliably protect the citizens of the United States. And that is the part that really gets me going. Because Ukraine, you can't blame them for wanting to defend their country. You can't even blame the Russians for saying, we've already committed, we're going to fight to the end as well. And at that point, it becomes, what is the United States going to do? We can't get these two sides to come to a table right now. So we've got to protect ourselves. And we're not. We're not. Branton, um, yes, I think most Americans, uh, every time they hear someone like you or maybe Brian Kennedy speak about this, they're always amazed that we don't have space-based missile defense. The truth is we, we don't. We are so far behind. We are so it's far. Pathetic. By the way, can space-based nuclear missile shields, uh, they, can they thwart tactical nuclear launches? It depends, I suppose, on how they're launched, right? Well, the tactical, nu so the tactical nukes are only going to directly threaten U.S. forces that are in Europe, okay. and they will not be the first targeting. Okay. The tactical Putin is if he is going to go the route, I think he's going to go. He's going to do conventional attacks on our satellites. He's going to hit us in cyber. He's going to try to disrupt the EM spectrum so that Ukrainian and any covert American and European forces operating in Ukraine can't coordinate defense. The nuclear weapons will be tactical, and I believe those will be specifically aimed at Ukrainian targets. 
He will resist the urge to hit, I think. He will resist the urge to go and hit European and American targets with, with larger nukes. So a space-based missile defense shield would probably be somewhat ineffective against those shorter-range yeah. uh, tactical nukes. But I'm not worried about that right now. Look, the Ukrainians, they're fighting a war. They're going to be you know, torched, unfortunately, at some point. That's part of war. War is hell. I'm worried about protecting my country. You bet. And the best way to do that is to, to do what I'm saying, because then the Russians will say, oh, God, we can't even scare the Americans into forcing the Ukrainians to come to the table because they've got space-based. They are taking this so much more seriously. We need to negotiate now because the whole world's against us, and there's nothing we can do to make anybody go our way. And, but we're not thinking like this. It's, it's pathetic how we're thinking. We're not even thinking about these things. No, I it, no, I can imagine. I can, I can, I can just imagine now. And if it does go to its ultimate conclusion, God please no. But if it does. Uh, just think about the repercussions of Joe Biden having put American soldiers in the line of a nuclear attack. Just think about right. that. I mean that this is this is incomprehensible, too too awful to be comprehended. But that's 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 the thing we want people He's to start thinking Jimmy about. Carter look good. I, yeah, He's that's that's Jimmy the other Carter way. To, I have to take a break. We only have a short yeah. segment, but um, I wonder if you wouldn't mind just taking a quick uh, a quick slap at uh, the stories uh, regarding that uh, riddle. Yeah, the riddle of uh, yeah. mystery inside an enigma that is the Chinese leadership. Could we have you well, say a I'm word or two on it? I'm just a man to answer it. All right, all right. We'll give you. Uh, we'll, we'll get a quick pressy on that on the other side of this break. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Brandon Weikert, and we will be right back. Brandon J. Weikert has been our guest. If you don't already, if you haven't already ordered his book, The Shadow War, Ron's Quest for Supremacy, you want to read it. Trust me, I've read it already. Uh, based on uh, based on uh, early early review edition, he was he he was kind enough to give me. Brandon, a couple minutes left. Just a quick update. Stories here and there about a coup in China, mostly overblown, or you think there's something to it? Well, there's something, as Gordon Chang said to me yesterday over the phone, there's something weird going on. Okay. But given the opaque nature of the Chinese system, and this is really an indictment of U.S. intelligence, yep. we don't have, after all of these years, we lack reliable intelligence on what goes on in the internal workings of China's regime. So really, a lot of these rumors, any one of them could be true. What I think though, is going on, Xi Jinping went to meet Vladimir Putin and the other members of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization last week in Samarkand, which is uh, a, a part of uh, Central Asia. He returned to uh, China and immediately disappeared. Either he's simply under COVID quarantine, which I think is unlikely, or given the presence of Chinese military that's flooded Beijing and the fact that 60% of flights, buses, trains in Beijing have been canceled. Um, I think that either Xi Jinping going into November's National Party Congress, where he is expected to request an unprecedented third term as leader of China, he is probably going in and cleaning house of all the factions who are opposing both his zero COVID policy lockdown, which is killing the economy in China, as well as his very tight friendship with Putin that's risking trade with America. He might, that might be what's going on. Or it could, in fact, be a coup in which elements that want a better, they're not liberals, but they want a better or a more normal trade relationship with China 
at the expense of cutting off Russia, um, that they might be, and they they want to, they don't like the zero COVID policy. They might have waited for G to leave the country, and then once he got back, they sprang on him. Uh, we don't know. I think personally, the likeliest explanation is G went underground to clean house going into National Party Congress. But certainly the coup theory, I think, is the next best theory. I do not think he's under COVID lockdown. I do not think he is dead. Um, I think it's either he's going after domestic or internal factions that are opposed to his reign before the Congress code goes into session in, in November, or, yes, there might have, may have been a coup. But I really think he's He's doing something. G is a very dangerous and powerful man. Yeah, probably um, the most since so. Mao Zedong, right? Yeah. Yeah. Brandon yeah. Weikert, you're such a treasure. Bless you, sir. Thank oh, you. Thank keep you. your phone line available and open to us. I um, I thank you so much, sir. Uh, don't go away, folks. A lot more coming up, including my monologue on the new prime minister of Italy. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 